Well, God bless you and thank you so much for coming today. It's always a pleasure to be with you on these online services. We understand that it's not always possible for you to go to a service somewhere and to go and fellowship with the people there. That's especially true in Israel where you don't have a lot of congregations in the various cities. And so we bring the service to you wherever you are. We hope you'll be encouraged today and grow in your relationship to God and that you'll have the promises of His Word to guide you through your day and through your week. Today we're going to be in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, Ivrim, Hebrews, in chapter 3 and chapter 4. That's where we're going to be. We're going to basically go really quickly through chapter 3 just to review a little bit of what we did the last time with Hebrews 3. And then we'll use that to springboard or dive on in to chapter 4 from that. And then that's where we'll be in detail. I'd like to talk to you today about resting in God. You know, we think about resting in God and, and you wonder what that means. But we're not talking about a physical rest. We're talking about a spiritual rest. Here's what I mean. Many times we think of God and we think of having to work our way to please God. And it's a bitter situation. It's a bitter journey because all the time we're thinking about, Oh God, what do you want me to do right now? Oh God, maybe I did something wrong. And you're always thinking about if it's good enough to please God. And the reason why you're thinking about that is you don't want God to be against you right now in this life. And you certainly want to enter into the kingdom of heaven at the end of this life. You want God to be blessing you in this life. And you also want to know that you have everlasting life in heaven with Him at the end of this life on earth so that He could be with you and you could be with Him through eternity. That's why you were created in His image. Created in His image, like it says in the book of Genesis, means that you were created with everlasting spirit, eternal spirit. Yeah, you have a fleshly body. We have fleshly bodies. And just like old automobiles, they eventually wear out. They need a lot of repairs. And eventually, they just don't work anymore. Well, at that point in time, we're going to get out of this body and we're going to get an upgrade. We're going to get a new body and a new life in Him. And that's what our hope is for. You see, don't you feel inside that this life is worth far more than just the few years that you have here? Don't you feel like there's something more? Don't you feel like you were created for something much higher than any other animal? I mean, think about it. Like we said before, Monkeys don't design spacecraft to go billions of miles into space and send back telemetry data to Earth and analyzing the chemical composition of the planets and asteroids that they go to. Monkeys don't do that. Monkeys don't have patents for things that are very sophisticated medicines in biomedicine science. Monkeys don't do that. They don't investigate cures to diseases. Humans do that, and there is no second place that's even remotely close. So if you think that this human existence is just an accident, your own heart tells you differently if you think about it. God wants you to be His child. 
God wants you to be with Him through eternity. And the words He sent to us in His Word, God's Word, the Bible, we know that those words are for Him because He gives us prophecies in His Word. And those prophecies are very detailed, spoken about events that would happen in the future, sometimes a year later, sometimes a few weeks later, sometimes hundreds of years later, or even thousands of years later. And the fact that He spoke these detailed prophecies to us in His Word, and they came to pass, indicates that the Bible is indeed a very special book. In fact, it is by far the best-selling book in all human history every year, every single year. Every year, the Bible sells more than 25 million copies. You look at the best-selling book after that, and it's not even a fraction of how much the Bible sells. And the reason is, is because people realize this is not just some book that a few people wrote. This is the Word of God, because no one knows the future except for God. So those prophecies that He spoke so long ago, and we know those documents are that old because we've seen them dug out of antiquity and everything in the archaeological digs and Dead Sea Scrolls and all this. We know what the dates of those documents are. And then we see so many years later that those things that were spoken of in the prophecies did actually come to pass. That tells us that the words of the Bible are a message from God Himself, because God is outside of time. So why is that important? Because that same Bible tells us how we can know God. And it tells us how we can live forever by believing on His Mashiach, His Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. You know, we all want to rest in God. We all want to take away the stress of life and the worry about whether we're doing the right thing or the wrong thing. Well, the good news is, is God has made a way to forgive our sins by believing on His Son, Jesus Christ. But we're all thinking about rest. We just like some rest from those spiritual worries that we have, from the things that are physical problems all around us and I heard the story the other day about four guys who were talking one evening. These relatively young guys, just one of them asked a question. He said, at the end of your life on earth, and you're laying there in that casket, and friends and family are standing all around you and mourning for you, what would you like to hear them say about you as you're laying in that casket? And the other three guys started to answer. The first guy immediately responded, well, I'd like to hear them say that I was one of the greatest doctors of my time and a great man. The second guy thinks about it and he says, you know, I'd like to hear them say that I was a wonderful husband and school teacher who made a huge difference in the children of our future. The last guy thinks a minute and he pauses for a while and they, they ask him again, well, what, do you, what would you like to hear them say as you're laying in the casket? And the guy looks up at them and says, you know, I'd like to hear them say, look, he's moving. <laughs> but seriously, we need to rest in God. That's what our scriptures say today. Let's look at them. Hebrews chapter 3 in the Bible. We're just going to go over that real briefly because we were in that before. But you remember that it's talking about 
resting in God. And it's talking about how when Israel was led out of the land of Egypt, that God provided everything for them. He provided food that rained down on the camp every morning and they could pick it up and eat it and have enough food. They did this for 40 years. And then it also recalls when God brought forth water to feed this million to million point five people that were out there in the wilderness. But He didn't do the water from just any way. It wasn't rain. He didn't bring them alongside a river or a spring or anything like that. He made, rock, he made water come from rocks. He made water come from rocks. Not just a little water, but enough water to quench the thirst all day long, every day, all night long, every night of all of the children of Israel from a rock. I love the way that God does things in miraculous ways. He uses natural things that we see, that we understand, but then He does miracles that we never expected in those natural things. But let's start now at verse 1 in chapter 3, and we'll very quickly just run through this. Just to recall what happened last week, and then we'll springboard from that, dive off into chapter 4. It says in chapter 3, verse 1 in the book of Hebrews, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, calling. Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all of his house. For this one who has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as the one who builds the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but he who builds all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart as they did in the rebellion, in the days of trial in the wilderness, God says, where your fathers tested me and tried me and saw my works for 40 years. I was angry with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath that they will not enter my rest. Now think about this. What even though we're in the New Testament book of Hebrews, he is quoting from the Jewish Tanakh. He's quoting what God himself said about Israel when he was leading them in the wilderness after he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He said, they tested me, they tried me, and they have not known my ways. Now what does that mean? You think about that. Well, they got the law at Sinai but they thought, well, you're supposed to keep the law to be righteous before God. But God gave them the law to show that He had so many things that He wanted them to do, required that they do, and so many things that He would forbid them to do that they couldn't even remember all those things. Certainly not keep all those things. And He said, you've not known my ways. Why did He say that? He said that because He knew that the law should have told them 
that they can never be righteous by keeping the law. That instead, God wanted them to be righteous by believing on Him. And you say, oh no, Stephen, that's a Christian concept. That's a Gentile thing, believing on God to be righteous. No, it's not, my brother and sister. In the book of Bereshit, in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, God says, And Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him for righteousness. God was angry, if you look up the story, as they were in the wilderness. God was angry with Israel at that time because after the spies were sent out into Canaan to spy out the land before they were going to go in the land and conquer it and take over the land, God was angry with the people because the spies came back, all but two of them. Joshua and Caleb brought a good report and said, let's trust in the Lord and go in there and take over that land. Those giants won't be able to stand before the Lord our God. But the other spies gave a bad report. They said, this land will chew you up and spit you out. This land has giants in it. Now think about this. If normal people built huge tall walls that would prevent invaders from coming in and taking over their cities, think about how high those giants would have built walls. Those walls would have been far, far higher than a normal sized person. And Plus, they were trying to defend themselves against other giants that would come and take over. So those walls, it was just like you're a little tiny child looking up at this huge wall and you think, how can we ever tear that wall down? How can we ever take over that city? And even once we're inside, how can we ever defeat those giants? The spies were saying, we're like tiny little grasshoppers compared to those giants. But God was telling the people, you don't have to do it. Just like you don't have to plant crops in the wilderness to get food, I will rain down food from heaven. You don't have to worry about finding water in the wilderness because I'll make water come forth from a rock. Wherever you are, I'm going to take care of you. And God had indeed already defeated the most advanced army in the world at that time, Pharaoh's army. Pharaoh the king of Egypt. And that army had all these thousands of chariots. Those were kind of like the F-16s and F-35s of the day. Highly advanced technologically and everything. But they weren't strong enough for God. God defeated those. And so the people then though looked at the giants. They looked at the situation. But they did not look back at what God had done for them. And they became afraid. And they said, we're not going into the land. We're not going to go up against those giants, against those big walls and those big cities. We can't do that. They were completely ignoring the miracles that God had already done in their life. So he said, he swore in his wrath in verse 11 in chapter 3 of the book of Hebrews. He swore in his wrath that they shall not enter his rest. So it continues in verse 12. Well, the warning for us, it says, beware, brothers lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Do you know that unbelief is evil? Unbelief in God and His care for you and the miracles He's shown you and the ways that He's cared for you and loved you. Unbelief in Him after He's done so much is an evil heart. And God says, beware, brothers, 
lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. When you don't believe in the works of God, but instead you're looking at your own strength, you are departing from the living God. Verse 13 continues, But exhort one another, encourage one another daily, while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, he says in verse 14, if we hold the beginning of our confidence, the faith in God, to do all the work for you. If we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end, while it is said, and he's quoting from the Tanakh again, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your hearts as they did in that rebellion. Now, in verse 16, he says, For who were these people who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moshe, Hanavi, led by Moses? Verse 17 then continues, Now with whom was he angry those forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter because of unbelief, is what it says in verse 19. Now notice that God is talking about rest and unbelief. He's saying that if you're not believing in God to take care of you, you're not resting in God. You can't rest in your own works because they're not good enough anyway. You'll never attain to God's standard, which is perfection. Jesus said in the last verse of Matthew chapter 5, You are therefore to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We're not perfect, even on our best days. 51% doing good in our life is not going to get us into heaven. God's not a democracy. He's perfect and righteous and holy. And He has promised in the Tanakh that the soul that sins, it shall die. What I'm saying is, He's got to judge sin. He's got to judge sin. He's committed himself to that, but he created mankind in his image. So you see the dilemma. He loves you. He wants you to be his child, but sin is keeping you from his presence. And he said he has to judge sin. He can't just ignore that and forgive everything. Your sins have to be paid for. That's the way it works. That's the spiritual laws because that's what God committed Himself to in His own Word. And His Word is true. And His promises are sure. He can't just ignore His own Word. His own Word, it says, He honors higher than His own name. So His Word tells us that He's got to judge sin. But He wants us to be able to rest in Him. We'll never be able to rest in our own works. We're not good enough. And deep inside, we know that. Oh, we feel it. We understand it, that we're not good enough. And no matter what works you do, you, you try and try. You wrap to the, the flynn and everything for your daily prayers. And, and you read everything. You have your phylacteries on. And you're all put together with all the things that you think will please God. And when you finish all of that, you still don't feel like you know that you're going to be able to come into God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, at the end of this life on earth. You're still searching. You're still empty. You're still hollow. You're looking for what God expects from you. 
and you think you're doing all the things that He's requiring you to do. And then because your heart is still not at rest, you get bitter against God because you think He's the one requiring you to do it. That's not the case. He's not the one requiring you to do it. Your own imagination is the one requiring you to do it. And Satan is all too willing to accuse you because the Tanakh calls him the accuser of the brethren. He's all too willing to accuse you and make you feel guilty all the time. And here's why. Because when he does that for so long, he knows that you're just going to give up. That you're going to be bitter with God because you think God is requiring all these things. God's saying, no, I showed you the law so that you would give up and so that you would ask for my mercy instead. If you don't have the strength, if you don't have the power, you don't have the wisdom, you see that you can't be perfect, which is all of us, ask for the mercy of God. Believe on His Son, Jesus Christ, whom He sent to take our sins upon Himself. And He says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's John 3.16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the way God wants you to approach Him and have a relationship with Him, is in His mercy, <clears throat> by faith in Him, believing on His love and care for you. The only way to enter into His rest is when we don't have to worry anymore and don't fret anymore is through His Son, Jesus Christ. Now let's get into Hebrews chapter 4. The first part of Hebrews 4 continues the theme of Hebrews 3. That's why we started in Hebrews 3. But this is where we're going to end up today and we'll add this chapter to our section now as we go through the book of Hebrews. The first three chapters of Hebrews was a special series that we had called the Messiah Mystery. And we called it the Messiah Mystery because it showed why the Messiah was needed. It showed that He would not be just a regular man, that God Himself would become a man, and that that man whom He became would be the one who we call Hamashiach, the Messiah. And that that man's name was Jesus, in Hebrew, of course, Yeshua, the most famous Jewish person who ever lived. A man whose life it split time itself into two parts. The man who affected civilization of the world more than any man who ever lived. The most famous Jew in all the world, in all of history. Why would he not be the candidate for Messiah? He fulfilled all those prophecies that were statistically impossible to fulfill for any other person other than the real Messiah. Statistically, no other person could fulfill all those prophecies. And Jesus, it explains in the first three chapters of the book of Hebrews that Jesus is the one who came and He's the promised Messiah and that He is the one. And God didn't send an angel God didn't find a man because there was no man without sin. And the Mashiach did not have sin. And he was not a regular man. And by the way, they never found his body. He was raised from the dead. And so he had no sin of his own, even though he took our sins upon himself. And because he had no sin of his own, death could not hold him. 
So he was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit of God, and now he can come again. So you see, my Jewish brother and sister, there's not two Messiahs. There's not Mashiach bin Yosef and Mashiach bin David, Messiah the son of Joseph, Messiah the, the, uh, the son of David. There's not the suffering servant Messiah and the king Messiah. There's not two people. There's one person, and that's Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach. And Yeshua in Hebrew means salvation of God, Yeshua. Let us fear, therefore, it says in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering His rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. Don't miss this train, is what he's saying. Don't miss this boat. For indeed, the gospel was, pre was preached to us as well as to them. It's preached to the Gentiles as well as the Jew. Now they had the chance to believe, and now we have the chance to believe. What are you going to do with the Word of God? They fell short because they did not believe God. But my brother and sister, understand one thing. You know that I'm born into a Jewish family. I'm of the seed of Abraham, and I am Jewish also. But God is not finished with the Jewish person. The New Testament teaches that, by the way. And God has a glorious future for them, and they're going to return, and they're going to believe on the Lord their God, and they're going to be joined together with all believers worldwide, and they will have a special role in the kingdom of God. I long for those days when the restoration of Am Israel comes about the nation of Israel and they look once again to the Lord their God to the Lord our God and we as brothers to them and they're our elder brothers the ones who through their faithfulness kept the words of the Tanakh that we might have the word of God today they're the ones through whom their seed came the Mashiach the Messiah the Son of God to save all of those in the world who would believe on Him. Jewish people are around 16 million people on this planet today. The planet, though, has about 7 billion humans. So that right there says that only one out of about every 438 people are Jewish. God loved them all. He didn't just love one out of every 438. Oh, the Jewish people are a special people and a special treasure to Him. And He has special things for them that He is going to do through them. Glorious, wonderful things. But God loved us all. So He used the Jewish people to save the Scriptures and to bring them forth into the future now so that we could have them. And He used the Jewish people to bring His Mashiach, the Messiah, into the world. And that's why God told Abraham, and through your seed, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. He said that in Genesis, right? God said to Abraham in the book of Genesis, and through your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And it says in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 4, For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them because it wasn't mixed with faith, believing, from those who heard it. For we have believed do enter the rest of God, as he said. Now believe in Hebrew, if you're a Hebrew speaker, you know exactly what I mean. To believe is leha amin, leha amin. 
Ma'amin, ani ma'amin. I'm a believer. I believe. Ani ma'amin, Elohim. I believe in Elohim. I believe in God. But it also means, in Hebrew, believe means to trust in and to rely on. So when you really believe, and you Gentiles need to understand this concept, believe is not something like you say, like, oh, I, I believe that Avi is over here outside. You don't really know, but I believe he's over there. You would never say that in Hebrew because ma'amin or leha'amin, to believe, means to trust in and rely on. You absolutely know that Avi is over there. And when you believe on the Lord, and we get our word amen from leha'amin, when you absolutely believe on the Lord, you are trusting in Him. You are relying on Him. You don't have any fallback position. There's no backup. You are counting on God to come through. So that's what verse 3 says, For we who have believed do enter that rest. We can rest in Him because we're believing in Almighty God as our salvation. And so God then says, So I swore in my wrath that they shall not enter my rest although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. He's talking back about what he said in Hebrews chapter 3, which was quoting from the Tanakh, the Old Testament. He swore in his wrath that they're not going to enter his rest. Why? Because they weren't trying to enter it through trusting in God. They were looking at their own strength to beat and defeat those giants. They were looking at their own wisdom. They were looking at their own abilities. They weren't trusting God. And even though God had said to Abraham, and Abraham believed God, and that was counted him to righteous, these people in the wilderness did not believe God, so they were not counted to be righteous. He says, They shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day, Hashabbat. Yom Shabbat, in this way. And said, God rested on the seventh day from all of His works. And again in this place, He had said in the Tanakh, They shall not enter my rest. Now think about this. He's briefly talking about when God created the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, God rested. But there's another time when God said, It's finished. It's all done. All the work is done now. And that was when Jesus, the Son of God, God became a man and gave His physical life for us that we might live. When He was hanging on the cross, His last words were, It is finished. What did He say? Does He say, Okay, I'm defeated. They got me. I can't do anything more. No, He was saying their sins have been atoned for. I kept the law at all times, so I'm an acceptable, blemish-free sacrifice for the altar of God. Now I've given my life on that altar, and the sins of mankind are atoned for. He was our sacrifice, our atonement. Jesus said, hanging there on the cross, when it was all over, He said, it's finished. What he was saying was man has now been restored to God. And all who believe on the work of God in Jesus Christ on the cross will be saved. God's work of salvation was finished. So what that means, brother and sister, is just like God rested after creation was done, when Jesus said, it is finished, 
if you believe on Him, you can rest from the stress. You can rest from always trying to please God and always failing, always falling short, never quite feeling inside that you made it. You can rest. The Son of God made it to where mankind could now rest from His works while entering the kingdom of heaven by believing on Him. Verse 6 in chapter 4 then goes on and says, Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, the rest, some have not entered it, it says, and to those whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Now notice this. Before it said the people in the wilderness that God was leading did not enter into the rest of God because of unbelief. They did not believe and trust in and rely on God to defeat those giants and to take care of them. And then God says here, quoting from the Tanakh, that it was disobedience is why they did not enter. So they disobeyed God by not believing on God, by not trusting in God, and by not resting in His care. It says in verse 7 in chapter 4, Again, He designates a certain day, saying in David, David said, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. Don't say, well, I'm supposed to work. I'm Jewish. We all work and everything. Well, here's the deal. Jewish is special because God called them. And God's Word is what they're held to. That's the standard that they're held to. And God is saying now, if you harden your hearts and don't believe in God, you're not really being true Jewish. Because Abraham was the father of our faith. Because it said, Abraham believed God, and that was counted to him for righteousness. So to be a child of God, you need to be believing the God that Abraham believed on. You need to be resting in the God that Abraham rested upon. You need to be relying in God, the God that Abraham relied upon. And then it says in verse 8, chapter 4, For if Joshua, Yehoshua, had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. Verse 9, Therefore it remains a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered into God's rest, his rest, has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. That's what we said. You're ceasing from all your striving to try to earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. And you're resting on not your works, but the works of Almighty God. And that will be counted to you for righteousness when you believe on the one that God sent to die for your sins. Now let's continue on. It says in verse 11, let us therefore be diligent, be diligent to enter into that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Don't disobey God again, you see. Enter into His rest like He's commanding you to do. He's requiring you to do that. It's not just a good thing. You know, entering into God's rest and ceasing from striving on our own is what God's Word teaches. You could see that here as we quote from the Tanakh itself. Notice that entering into his rest is not just a good idea. It's commanded. Oh, he's calling it disobedience if you don't do it. It's not just a good idea. He's not just saying, oh, you know what? You'd be so much more comfortable if you would trust in me. You'd be so much happier if you just let go and just rest in me. 
He is saying those things, but he's also saying, and by the way, I'm commanding you to do this. He looks at you as a child. He knows what's best for you. And he wants you to survive, and he wants you to thrive, and he wants you to grow, and he wants you to mature. And he knows that when you're not trusting in him and relying on him and believing on him, his Messiah, that that will not work out good for you. You'll perish in your sins because you're not believing on the one whom God has sent to take your sins away and the punishment for sin is death. And God doesn't want you to die. He gave His Son that you might live. So if you believe on Him, you will be saved and be able to go into the kingdom of heaven. Yes, brother and sister, especially my Jewish brother and sister, Watch this carefully. Look at what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. You can know that you're going to heaven. I'll say that again. You can know that you're going to heaven. God says, if you believe on the one whom God has sent. This is the bread of heaven who came down to give life to the world. That's why Jesus, the Messiah, as it is written in the prophets in the Tanakh, he would be born in the city of Bethlehem. In Hebrew, you Hebrew speakers know exactly what I'm saying. You know what Bethlehem means. It's Beit Lechem. Beit Lechem is the place of bread. That's what Jesus is. He's the bread of life that comes down and gives life to the world. He's the living water. And when you have that living water, when you have the life from Him by believing on Him, out of your belly, your inmost beings will flow rivers of living water. Eternal life is yours when you believe on the Son of God. It's not just a good idea. It's commanded. And God commands you, not because He's being mean to you, but because He wants you to live. He doesn't want you to perish. And it all comes down to what you do with the Messiah. What you do with Jesus, the Messiah. Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ. We know this because it says to not enter his rest is to disobedience and that one may fall by disobeying this command. That's what the verse has just said. So you see, resting in God is not just a suggestion. It's not just a good but optional thing. No, it's commanded. God loves you too much to let you go through life without relying on and resting in his love. Then as we finish up this chapter in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. Now you think about that. When you look at those verses, it sounds like, oh, it sounds like God is, knows everything in my life, even the deep thoughts in my mind and what I really intend to do in my heart. He knows the difference. He knows when I'm trying to fool people and what I'm really thinking. He knows when I'm trying to fool Him and how I really am. It sounds like God's just looking for faults in my life. No, you, you don't understand what that verse is saying. God wants to heal you of those things. He's not trying to judge you. He's trying to keep you from judgment. As He looks at those things in your life, He's raising you 
When you were born into this life, you didn't come out knowing all the things that you're supposed to know. You didn't come out speaking your native language perfectly when you were born. You had to learn that. You didn't come out knowing how to act and how to behave in life. You didn't know how to be polite and what to say in certain situations and what to do. You didn't even know how to walk. You were just laying there going like this. You didn't know your eyes were all over the place. You couldn't even control your muscles. In the same way, when you're born again into the kingdom of God by believing on God's Son, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus Christ, you're going to be raised from a tiny little chill, a child, a baby. You're going to be raised into a, a kid and then you're going to grow and grow and you're going to learn things. And God's going to teach you. Right here, He's teaching you that He knows what's best for you. That He's going to look for those things that you're mistaken on, that you think you should do but you're not supposed to do and God's going to take your hand. He's going to go, no, no, no. Okay, but the reason why He does that is because He loves you and because He wants you to grow in the right way. That's the way all the Jewish mothers treat their children. They don't withhold good from their children. They tell them the truth. They tell them the good things and they tell them the bad things that they're doing. You know that what I'm saying is true. Jewish mother doesn't take any nonsense from the child and because of that, they're good mothers. And he says it all comes down to believing. Scripture states that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. That's in the book of Isaiah. God honors his word above all of his name. And none of the things that I'm telling you that are out of his word will pass away. Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. The Word of God knows every detail of your life. The Word knows when you're acting and when you're really living God's Word. You may be only acting when you're around others, but you may be a different person and look like a righteous person when you're at Beit Knesset or the synagogue or when you're at church. Here's how you can be sure that your life is okay when you're alone and with your others. Commit your way to the Lord so that your ways may be directed by the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord and He will direct your steps. He'll direct your path. You're alone and the times when you're others will both then be godly because God will be the one directing your steps. So as we finish this chapter, it says in verse 14, Seeing then that we have this great high priest, Hakon Hagadol, who has entered in through the heavens, passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of Him. Let us hold fast our belief in Him. Oh, it's not going to be popular. You're going to have family that's going to say, you're not going to be a part of our family if you believe on Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah. But is it better to please man or to please God? Who knows but what your family may come to Him and have everlasting life in Him because of your example. Because when you come to the Lord and you confess Him and you hold fast that confession, your life's going to change. And people are going to see the remarkable, wonderful difference in your life from what you used to be to what you are now. They'll see the joy that you have. They'll see the peace that you have. Oh, you'll still go through trials, okay. 
But you'll go through those trials having a hope. You won't be hopeless. You won't be despairing. You'll have hope that God is with you and that in the end, somehow, it's all going to work out good because you have that promise in His Word that He causes all things to work together for the good, for your good, to those who love Him and those who are called to according to His purpose, His children. It says in verse 15 then, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but in all points he was tempted as we are only without sin. What's that saying? Here's the key. You've got to remember that God became a man. So even though he was God, ruling over the universe and made all things by the word of his mouth, he became a man to die for our sins so that our sins could be paid for, so that we could be with Him. Now, some of the religious people say, it's impossible for God to be a man. How could God fit in the body of a man? My brothers, listen. How could God fit in the universe, for that matter? He is infinite. The universe is finite. The universe has limits. God has no limits. And the book of Genesis chapter 18 very clearly shows the Lord and two angels approaching Abraham and the Lord talking with Abraham and Abraham calling him Lord and worshiping him right there while he was facing this man whom God had become. God can become anything he wants. If we, if we were to see God in, in the throne, we would fall over, you know, just completely paralyzed before him at the amazing righteousness and glory that surrounds him, the light that is beyond all imagination. But he's all-powerful. Why does it seem difficult for you to believe that God can become a man if he wants to? If he wants to become a man and talk to people at that time, or become a man and be the Mashiach who takes away the sins of the world, why is that too hard for God? Is anything too hard for God? Stop listening to your own dogma and theology and start reading the Word of God. His Word will never pass away. His Word is true, though every man be a liar. Nothing will stand against the Word of God. And over and over again, through the centuries and centuries and centuries, it is proven to be true. You can put your life on God's Word. God's Word will endure forever. And God became a man, and He knows what it's like to go through pain. He knows what it's like to go through disappointment. He knows through its, what it's like to go through rejection. He knows what it's like to be weak and to be tired after He walked so many miles from Jerusalem to the Galilee and back. He knows what it's like to be a man. He knows that you and I who were created in His image, are trapped in sin with no way of escape. That's why He came, to pay the price for our ransom, to pay the price for our punishment, our sin, that we might be with Him forever. And then it says in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When we come boldly, before the throne of grace, and we're just little children. That says right there, that, I mean, have you seen the little child? Yes, the mother, the father may say to that child, don't you do that again. You did wrong, and now you're going to be punished for that. But they will still come back to that mother, back to that father, 
and run and jump in their lap and hold on to them tightly because that's daddy, that's Ema, that's mother. Those are the parents that love that little child. And that little child, even though they were punished for doing something wrong, still comes back boldly to their parents, knowing that their parents not going to kick them out of the house. Their parents love them. And their parents are just trying to raise them and do the best thing for them. So it says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may find mercy, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. I love that picture. A little child confident of his relationship with daddy, with Abba. Even after Abba, daddy, has disciplined him, the little child still knows that Abba still loves him. The child knows that Abba still cares for him. In fact, the only reason Abba disciplined the child in the first place is because he does love the little child. And if he didn't care about the little child, he wouldn't patiently teach and discipline the child. He wouldn't be so patient with the child. And this child will be raised to know what things are right and what things are wrong because Abba loves his little child. He has an understanding, the child does, about what the father will allow and the things that the father will not allow. And in the same way as God works with our own lives, we learn what God will allow and what he will not allow. And again, he's put it all right here. We can know the heart of God right here. And the promise for everlasting life is right here. He knows, the child knows what the heart of the father is when he asks for things in prayer. In the same way, we come to know the things that please the Father and the things that displease Him. And in prayer, we seek to pray according to His will. Here's what I'm saying. You can rest in God. You experience His love, His care, His patient guiding in your life. And you know that you can rest in the Lord. Finally, I'd like to close with this one verse. I love this verse. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love. It all comes down to this, folks. Be brave, be strong. Stand for the Messiah who came and stood for you. Love Him who loved you with all. Let all be done with love for God and with love for others. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Christ, as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Lord who came to give you rest in God. Amen. 